Mark's Gospel has been been a a fascinating introduction, a fascinating beginning. Those first 15 verses, a declaration concerning Jesus and who He is, who has come to proclaim the arrival of the Kingdom of God. And we looked at last week, verses 16 through 20, where we see then Jesus just walking along the side of the Sea of Galilee, and He comes upon Simon and Andrew, and He comes upon James and John, and He just simply says, follow Me. They get up and they leave everything. They leave their families. They leave their careers. And they follow Jesus. The hanging question in the Gospel of Mark then really is, well, who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus that these four men would just drop everything? Drop their lives. Drop their careers. Walk away from their future of whatever they had planned to now follow this Jesus. Who is this Jesus? And that is what not only the rest of chapter 1 traces in the Gospel of Mark, but chapter 2 as well. I I tried with all of my might to do all of chapter 1 in this lesson. And I could have done it, but you would have been here till 12, and I didn't want to, you know, get you mad at me, so we got to break it up some more. But the reason I bring that up is even though we're shortening up what we're going to look at today in the text as we go through verse 39 today, that's not the stopping of this movement. There is this great theme that is trying to show who this Jesus is. And there is a one central idea to that. You'll notice it in verse 21 as it comes out. Uh, Verse 21 of Mark 1. And they went to Capernaum. That's the Jesus and the four that He's just called. And immediately on the Sabbath, He entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at His teaching. They are blown away, it says, by His teaching. But notice the reason why. The reason why that everybody in the synagogue is astonished is not because Jesus is teaching something really radical and something different. It's not because Jesus is teaching something and the people are like, no, this is something completely unheard of. This is something completely new. You know, it's kind of interesting in, in, our, in our religious world today, what we are interested in is we want to hear something new. Give us something different. Give us something that we've never heard before. In fact, I see the Athenians liked that. And notice that's not the reason why Jesus has their attention. It's not the reason why they're amazed, why they're astonished. Verse 22 says, He taught them as one who had authority... And not as the scribes. He taught in a radically different way. I put forward to you, he taught in a way that none of us have ever heard anybody teach. Because in those days especially, what you had was that those rabbis and teachers, what they would do is they would say, well, this is what was taught by the elders in the past. This is what Rabbi so-and-so said about the Scriptures. And all that they would ever do is relate and communicate to the people. Here's what, what was taught in the past. And even today, how Jesus would teach would be different than what I'm doing to you because I don't teach with any authority either. I just read what it says and goes, here's what it says. And there's the authority in what it says. When Jesus spoke... 
His words were the words of God. When He spoke, He possessed the authority of God. And it's not hard for us to imagine what His teaching sounded like. We get a glimpse of it in the Sermon on the Mount. Think about how often Jesus would say, you know, you've heard that it was said of old, but I say to you, well, who are you? Can you imagine me standing up here going, well, I know what you've always heard, but here's what I say. And that's what they're astounded by. He teaches with authority. And this is the only person who could ever teach like that. Who could stand up and when He spoke, He's speaking the Scriptures. He's speaking the words of God. He is saying with the authority of God, here is what God says. No one else could ever do that. It was just amazing that He could do that. Even prophets would stand on, thus says the Lord, here's what God has revealed to me. And Jesus is speaking because He is the Lord. And that's what I think is so interesting about this introduction to the rest of what these couple of chapters are doing is the whole point that we are going to see is that Jesus teaches with authority like no one else. And all the people are recognizing it. Everybody recognizes that there is something different about Jesus. And it's not in how He looks. It's in what He says. How He teaches was radical from what anybody else had ever done or ever could do. For He Himself possessed the authority of God. Now notice how this plays out in the next scene. Verse 23. Immediately... There was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Well, that's a disruption. <laughs> you have to imagine the disruption of synagogue. You have worship going on. The scripture was read. Prayers were going on. And all of a sudden, a man with an unclean spirit starts screaming these words. We know who you are. Have you come to destroy us? What are you doing here? Or you're the Holy One of God. We know who you are. Well, that's a showstopper. As <laughs> what everybody look go, well, what, what's happening right there? And that's what is taking place at this moment. And it's interesting what this unclean spirit is verbalizing through this person. It is an idiom that's being said. What have you to do with us is kind of a very wooden kind of way of, of stating this. It has a really wide range. It can be extremely derogatory the way the idiom can be used. It could be saying... Mind your own business. What what are you doing here? Get out of here. It can be not quite so derogatory. Why are you bothering us? This is another way that idiom is used. You know, don't don't deal with us. Just get out of our way. We're we're busy. And then it can be even less derogatory. Why are you trying to involve me? Why are you here right now? Either way, I think it is pretty fascinating that What you are seeing in these unclean spirits is an absolute recognition of who Jesus is. You know, notice that there's nothing here except simply Jesus is teaching in the synagogue. And everybody's astounded by that. And the unclean spirit goes, we know who you are. 
Why are you here? Why are you bothering us? And you have to love the statement, have you come to destroy us? <laughs> yeah. we, we know who you are and what you're going to do. Have you come to destroy us? I, I know you're the Holy One of God. And that phrase even itself is very unique. That's not a messianic term that we find in any literature that the Jews said, well, the Holy One of God was going to refer to the Messiah. But Isaiah uses that terminology to speak of God Himself, the Holy One. And so there is this confession, this declaration about who Jesus is. He is the Lord. We know who You are. You are God. And notice Jesus' response in verse 25. And Jesus rebuked Him saying, Be silent and come out of Him. <laughs> I mean, you just have to be stunned by that. That's all you're going to... That's it. Uh, just simple words. Because notice verse 26, The unclean spirit convulsing Him and crying out with a loud voice came out of Him. All that Jesus has to do is say, Would you be quiet and get out of Him? And there He goes. There goes the unclean. No spells. No incantation. No formula. No fancy words. No, I adjure you by, you know, the Lord... My authority, come out and be quiet. (laughs) There he goes. This is stunning authority to just be able to say to an unclean spirit, be quiet and get out of that man. Verse 27, and they were all amazed. Of course, he just said, be quiet and come out and it worked. (laughs) You know, you can only imagine how many times this guy has shown up to the synagogue and people were saying that, would you please be quiet? We're trying to worship here and you keep screaming out. This time Jesus says something. That's it. That's the end. And there goes the unclean spirit. I want you to see something in particular about what they are amazed at, though. Notice verse 27, they are all amazed so that they question among themselves saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. I want you to notice exactly what they are amazed at. They are not amazed and say, wow, There is a guy here who can cast out unclean spirits. That is really cool. We've never seen anything like that before. Amazing. That's not what they're amazed at. It says they are amazed at the authority of his teaching. They are understanding something about Jesus. And what they are understanding is if he says something, it has authority. First, the way he taught. He doesn't have to say, thus says the Lord. He can just say, thus says I. And they're like, wow, that's authoritative. You're you're taking on the place of God. You're teaching with authority. And second, when he does say something to unclean spirits, they obey. This exorcism reveals the authority of his words. Now, the big deal in why this is here. And why we see this happening is, is, is extremely important. Because the casting out of these unclean spirits was not done 
so that you would just kind of have some kind of wow factor. Oh, isn't that really neat? You know, it is a shame. And so often when we study the gospel accounts or we study the book of Acts, the way we often approach those studies is we will read a miracle and go, wow, he can do that. That shows that he's powerful. That's a very shallow look at what he's doing. There's, a, you know, one million different kinds of miracles Jesus could have done. There's a reason why he chooses the miracles that he does and the meaning that's behind those miracles. In particular, what you are observing here is in the casting out of this unclean spirit, it is proving what Jesus is teaching, that the arrival of the kingdom of God has come. In fact, you might remember the other gospel accounts put this layer on it, what Mark is assuming you would understand. If Jesus goes around and casts out demons and unclean spirits, what were you supposed to understand? That the kingdom of God has arrived. That here is Jesus throwing out the power of Satan. He has come and He is dealing with Satan. He is casting out that power. Jesus is greater than Satan, greater than Satan's authority. And all that Jesus has to do is just say a word. And it is greater than the authority of Satan and cast out these demons. The big picture that's being given at here is that Jesus is is so much greater. So much greater than Satan. That Satan is no match for Jesus. No match at all. Which is ultimately the big picture of Jesus has come. And He is conquering Satan. And He is going to be setting people free. This is what the proclamation of the kingdom of God message was looking like. Is that the kingdom of God has arrived and what that means is Jesus is going to be dealing with people on an individual level. And He will set people free. He has power over the authority of Satan. He has rule that is so strong that even by his words, he can break the power of Satan and derail the work of Satan. Now, this leads into a a section here. Look at verses 29 and notice how Mark moves us a little bit further. Verse 29, and immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her, and he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve him. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. You are seeing extraordinary authority, extraordinary power. And that's what we are supposed to take away here. Is that what we are witnessing is not just, oh, well, isn't that neat? Uh, Peter's mother-in-law has a fever and so they took care of that. And, you know, no big deal. You know, and we often, again, just kind of roll through those. But this is making a huge declaration. What did Isaiah say? 
the servant was going to do when he arrived. Well, it's a passage we know pretty well. If you remember all that suffering servant scene, there's a statement in the middle of that. That surely he has borne our infirmities. He has carried our diseases. And the picture of Jesus is one is that the kingdom of God has come because you see Jesus healing. He is healing Israel. Listen to Isaiah again. If you remember in the midst of Isaiah's prophecy, there's condemnation against the people of Israel for their sins. And that's what's being reminded of them here in Isaiah 57. Where here God says, For I will not contend forever, nor will I always be angry, for the Spirit would grow faint before me and the breath of life that I am made. I won't contend with my people forever. Why not? Well, because I'd wipe them out if that was the case. I'm not going to do that. Because of their iniquity of his unjust gain, I was angry. I struck him, speaking of Israel. I hid my face and was angry. But he went on backsliding in the way of his own heart. I have seen his ways, but I will heal him. I will lead him and restore him, restore to him and his mourners, creating the fruit of his lips. Peace, peace to the, to the far and to the near, says the Lord, and I will heal him. Isaiah's prophecy also speaks of when Christ comes, what is going to happen is you are going to see healing. That what you're going to see is Jesus is going to come, He's going to heal Israel, He's going to lead them, and He is going to restore comfort to them. This is the picture of what Jesus is communicating by having authority over diseases, by having authority over sicknesses, by being able to heal. You are getting a picture of what Jesus has come to do. Jesus has come to rescue. Jesus has come to set people free. Jesus has come to heal. The power is so amazing that you'll notice in verse 33, the whole city gathers. Verse 34, healing many that were with various diseases and sicknesses, casting out many demons. And notice how that ends with this authority again. He would not permit the demons to speak. You're not going to say a word. Extreme authority. Now watch this final picture that we're going to look at this morning and watch how this all plays into who Jesus is. Verse 35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. He said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Notice you have something pretty fascinating here. Here is Jesus. He rises early in the morning. He goes to a desolate place and he prays. Side point. 
hold that one next Sunday morning. I want to talk about that verse all by itself. So that's next week. We're going to come back to that. So hold the prayer idea. We're coming back there. But notice then what happens. So he's in a desolate place praying. Verse 36, Simon, everyone who's with him, all these disciples are all searching for him because all of the town wants to come to Jesus. And that's what here Simon tells him in verse 37. Everyone is looking for you. Everyone wants to find you. Why are you out here in this wilderness all by yourself in the desolate place? Jesus, don't you know everybody is looking for you? It's a success. You need to come on. And Jesus says, all right, let's set up a tent. Let's get everybody set up. But I'm going to preach to them. It's going to be great. Do you notice Jesus' response? Everybody's looking for you in the seven. Jesus goes, okay, let's go to the next city. Wait a minute. That's backward. They're all looking for you, so you should stay. You should stay there, and you should work with them and teach them because they all want to see you. And Jesus' response is, no, I'm not going to. The question comes right to the top as you read this. Why is Jesus leaving? Why does Jesus leave the people who are looking for him? And notice Jesus is answering that in verse 38. He says, let's go on to the next towns. Why? Because my purpose isn't to stand here and do miracles for every single individual that comes from this town. It's not my purpose. The mission that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. The mission is to go and tell everybody. Not to just set up camp and have everybody come here and I'll just keep out casting out demons and healing sicknesses and healing diseases. That's not why Jesus came. Jesus has come to teach. And remember what Mark told us, exactly what Jesus is teaching and why He's teaching. He's going around telling everybody the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's the content of the message. The content is to tell everybody the arrival of the kingdom is here. Well, how do we know the kingdom has arrived? Through the miracles that he's accomplishing. You see what the problem is beginning to already happen right here in this text. And it's going to happen all throughout the life of Jesus. It happens to him over and over and over again. Is that what people will do is that they will come to him for merely their physical needs. And that's what's about to happen right here at the scene. Is Peter comes out and says, everybody wants you. Why are you out here all by yourself in a desolate place? Get in there. They're looking for you. And Jesus goes, okay, let's go. Next city. Because the mission was not to deliver everybody from their physical ailments and their physical problems and their physical pains. His mission is to save people from their sins. The reason for the miracles was to show people the power that he possessed over their spiritual needs. This is all going to funnel in these two chapters to this repeated idea for us. Jesus is healing because he can heal you of your sins. 
Their Jesus has come and He can take care of your spiritual problems because He proved it in how He could take care of your physical problems. But so often the reverse happens. As in this city. We don't care about our spiritual needs, just take care of our physical needs. Jesus says, that's not why I'm here. The reason I'm here and the reason I do the miracles so that you will see something that is so important is that the miracle is the announcement of the arrival of the kingdom of who I am. That I have come to rescue. That I have come to heal. That I have come to comfort. That I have come to bring the kingdom of God and proclaim this message to all people. This is what He is doing. This is His purpose. This is what it's all about. And friends, for us, we cannot change the mission that Jesus defines here. Jesus' purpose was not to come and feed all the hungry of Jerusalem or all the hungry of Galilee. He could have done that. He could have stayed right here and said, okay, everybody come that needs something, I'll give it to you. His purpose is not to heal every sick person in Galilee and set up, okay, let's put up a sign. You've got sickness, Jesus heals. We'll, we'll, we'll pass it out all over the place. It's everybody to come. That's not what He wants either. He did not come to heal the sick, to care for the poor, to do any of those kinds of things. We have to be impressed by this response that Jesus gives here. His purpose is not even to be popular. This is such a terrible PR move at this moment. Everybody's looking for you. Okay, I'm leaving. Wait, no. You need to set up some social media and get some followers and you can just get the whole town to follow you all over Galilee. They'll just be with you all over the place. The last thing you want to do is silently move on to the next town. But this is exactly what Jesus does. The miracles are an announcement of the arrival of the kingdom. And Jesus is defining the mission. The mission is to go preach the gospel, the good news, to the other towns. The mission is not to take care of every disease, every pain, every sickness, every individual who had something wrong with them. This becomes a a huge issue to what the whole mission of Jesus and the whole authority of Jesus is about. I want you to see three things as we round out this lesson. Number one, the words of Jesus have authority over everybody's lives. It's one of the big things that Mark wants us to see. The authority of Jesus has authority over every individual. His words are authoritative and the proof is seen in the casting out of unclean spirits. Now the last thing those unclean spirits want to do is be cast out, but they don't have a choice. Jesus says, get out. And the authority of His words are strong enough. It is particularly fascinating how often we want to resist the authority of Jesus. How often we want to resist His words. 
And they, well, I have authority over my life. I think that's a pretty good mantra that you see today. I have authority over me. Who are you to tell me what to do? I have authority over me. And Jesus says, no, you don't. You absolutely don't. Jesus has authority over everyone. And he shows it as he goes around and with his very words can cast out the powers of the enemy. By his very words, he's able to show that he has power over Satan's realm and that he exerts rule over it. And how foolish it is for us to resist the one who has that kind of authority. I was trying to come up with a number of different illustrations about that. You could probably have plenty come to your your own head. It's as ludicrous as, as standing before an army and going, I have authority over me and you can't do anything. It's like, yeah, right. <laughs> really? Watch. Uh, that, that's the idea. Is you are standing before the Holy One of God who possesses all power and all authority. Everything has been given to Him and we stand here and go, but not over me. I'm going to do what I want to do. Resistance is foolish. It's one of the pictures that's going to be seen as we go through the study of Mark. Is that we are supposed to be in awe and impressed by the authority of Jesus. And the reason we should be so impressed by that is that what Jesus does with that authority, which is the second one. And you believe that of all that authority and all that power, that Jesus makes it his business to defeat Satan? You have to love when the unclean spirits are saying, you know, mind your business. What are you here to do? You know, get out of here and leave us alone. And Jesus' response is essentially, I made it my business. Get out of that person. Jesus made it His business to overthrow the authority of Satan and set His people free. With all of that might, with all of that authority, with all of that power, this is what He chooses to do. To set people free. To exert that power over Satan. And that is decisively seen at the cross. What you are getting here early on in Mark's Gospel is, do you see how powerful Jesus is? He can crush Satan easy. He just says a word. And there goes the unclean spirits. Just wait till you get to the end of the story and He crushes the head of Satan at the cross. It is a setup for the power of of Jesus who has come to destroy Satan, to destroy His power so that we can be set free. Which leads to the third point. Why do we get to see miracles like this? Because one thing that God wants you to see is that Jesus came to heal you.
You know, Jesus could have stood there and like made fire come out of his finger and everybody would go, ooh, he has authority. Look at that. Nobody can do that. I just, I just want you to conjure your mind. Think of all the weird things that he could do that are extremely powerful. You know, he could just stand there and make the earth split in half. Hey, neat, look at that. You know, he could do anything. Why does he choose these kinds of miracles but to indicate he's come to heal his people? That he chooses to do things like cast out unclean spirits, heal a woman of sickness, later on to raise someone from the dead, to heal diseases. Because Jesus is trying to indicate something about who He is and how He uses His authority. But He's come to heal His people. He's come to save them. He's come to rescue them. Let me bring you back to Isaiah again. Isaiah 53 and verse 4. Surely He has borne our infirmities and carried our diseases. Yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His wounds, we are healed. This is the irony of the work of Jesus. Jesus comes to do these miracles to show the world that He has come to heal them. To proclaim a message of salvation. With my authority, I can destroy the power of Satan and I can heal you. I will carry away those infirmities and diseases. I will take away what afflicts you the most. Satan's attack that you have fallen prey to and sin has afflicted you. I'll heal you of it. And Isaiah says, what we all do? We all went... Whatever. We all look at this and go, big deal. That's what it says. But we esteemed him not. He came to carry our diseases and heal us of our infirmities. He came to do all this. He has crushed for our transgressions. And we said, whoopee doo, we did not value him. That's what's so stunning about what God has done. We read it in Isaiah 57. I will not be angry with them forever. I don't want to consume them and wipe them out. But even though I see what they're doing, and even though they won't turn, I'm going to, I'm going to heal. I'm going to rescue. I'm going to comfort. Just side point one with that. would we always be impressed by the mercy and the grace of God? He came to rescue and heal. And we still sit back and go, who are you to tell me what to do? Who are you to rule over my life? Who are you to say what I should do? When we don't value Him for who He is. We don't see Him for the authority He possesses. And we don't see that He used His authority to set us free and wipe out Satan. We sit back and go, I want to do what I want to do. God have mercy on us. For as often as we do that on a daily basis, 
as we take our arrogant stand before God and resist His words over and over and over again. He has authority over our lives. He used His authority to destroy Satan so that He could heal us. How often our response is to shake our fist at God in rebellion and to resist His ways. And then, when we do open our eyes, how many times do we come to Him for what I get out of it? And then we hear the message and go, yeah, you're right. I got to pay more attention to God. I get my, get my life right with him. You're right. And then we become like these people in the crowd in the city. So what are you going to do for me, Jesus? How are you going to fix my life and give me what I want? You're going to answer every single prayer the way I want, right? I know what I'll do. I'll follow you if you do X, Y, and Z and one, two, and three for me. We make demands of God. We tell God, this is the way my life has to be. You'll do these things for me, right? This is the way it's supposed to go. And I want you to see, Jesus walks away from that. Whole crowd coming to Him. They're all coming for the wrong reason. And Jesus says, well, I guess I'll go preach somewhere else. The book of Acts ends this way, and then the lesson will be yours. Notice how the book of Acts ends. Here is Paul preaching. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart in turn. And I would heal them. The Apostle Paul then just quotes Isaiah to those people and says the exact same thing. Jesus has come to heal. If you'll open your eyes and open your ears and let the authority of Jesus' words come into your life and change you. To change how you live so that you yield your life to the authority of God. Here's Isaiah saying, if you would just hear my words for what they really are and let these words come into your heart and change you, I would heal you. You would turn and I would heal you. I would give you the very thing you need, the very thing you desire deep down within you. The thing you need is not cars and houses and stuff and jobs. You need me. And I know that you're trying to find it in your cars and your houses and your stuff, but you need me. If you would just hear me and see me and listen and understand and turn, I'll heal you. And we make Jesus all about our health, our wealth, our stuff, our things, our comfort. And Jesus walks away from that and goes, I'm looking for people who understand the power of the kingdom of God and understand what I've come to do. I've come to save you from your sin. And all I'm asking you to do is to hear my words, let them come into your life, and let them turn you so that you could be healed as well. That's why Jesus came. With all of his might and all his authority, he displayed it. Because He wants to heal every single one of us. Will you come to Him today? Turn away from your sins. Confess Jesus to be the Son of God, the Holy One, who has come to heal you. 
be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins. Give your life to the authority of Jesus this very day and be healed from your sins before it's too late. Won't you come and do that now while we stand and while we sing?